boy, I wish the heater was on. I wish I could feel my feet. I wish it was more comfortable in here. But every now and then, it's nice to be reminded that worship is worth it. Even if it's not comfortable, it's still important to be here. That we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine hiding in terminals, listening to bombs, and they would give anything to sit here with us in a cold auditorium. I say that because I mean it, and I say that, that if you want to complain about that, I want you to feel a little guilty. It was not for lack of effort. Sometimes, sometimes things just don't cooperate. So uh, our deacons will be on that and fix that. But the point still stands. I'm glad you're here today. And I hope you are too. And I am thankful for Kurt reading the text today. You did a fine job, Kurt. Even with some of the words that aren't normally used in our day-to-day vocabulary. And I am thankful for Ethan leading that song Hilltops of Glory. It's one of those songs that takes me back to the little church in McLeod, Oklahoma, where I grew up. Even as a kid, I liked that song. I don't know why, but little Jeremy sitting on the third pew where parents used to always make me sit, popping along the pews. But when that song would, would be sung, I would sit and listen. I don't know what it is about that song. We're between sermon series right now, and Jim said... You can preach on anything you want, as he often tells me I can. And some of you may be aware that a few weeks ago, Ike Wilson and Tony Rose and I got to take a trip that few people in their lifetime get to take. We got to go to Jordan and Israel. Now, one of the things people will often say, especially in preacher search committees when they're looking for a new preacher is we prefer a preacher that's not had two experiences. One, we don't want a preacher who's ever studied Greek. They'll stand up and try to talk Greek all the time, and nobody will understand, and everyone will be confused. And we don't want a preacher who's ever been to the Holy Lands, because that's all they can talk about. (laughs) I am now fully disqualified to stand in the pulpit. I don't want to be one of those guys who's always talking about that, but I wish I could put all of you in an airplane and take you to see some of the things we saw. Actually, I'd skip the 11 and a half hour plane ride and just get there if I could. One of the first places we got to see is the place that unfolds in Deuteronomy 34. We got to walk to the top of Pisgah. And we got to stand on Mount Nebo. And we got to see largely what God shows Moses as his last glimpse. Now, as we're standing there, they have a big mosaic map, and there was a it was one of the early stops on our trip, and there was a brother while we were standing there. There's a preacher. He says, can, can someone lead the song, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand? It was kind of funny for Tony and me for a moment, and it was really funny when that song was led last Sunday 
I was thinking, you know, of all songs we could sing, I'm not on Jordan's stormy bank right now. Let's save that for when we get farther in. How about we sing Hilltops of Glory? I didn't say that, but I thought that. And it was a remarkable view to stand and see what Moses saw. Now, the text says in Deuteronomy 34 that God showed Moses all of the land. And I'm, I'm not sure that you could see all of the land. It wasn't a clear day when we were there, a little bit hazy. We could see far enough that on the left-hand side, we could see the Dead Sea, which in a few short days after, we floated. But I don't want to rub that in. But you could see part of the Dead Sea, and then you could see other parts of the land. I don't know if God gave Moses a pair of binoculars or if he transported him somehow to see the land, but we stood on the mountain that Moses got to see. The time of the year we were there, it didn't look all that pleasant, to be honest with you. For those of you from West Texas who often describe Texas as the promised land, I hate to admit this, but the promised land, half of it looks like West Texas. <laughs> Do with that what you will, Loretta. But the rest of it is beautiful. So at the end of every day of traveling, we'd go back to the hotel. We traveled with the group from Freed Hardeman University, wonderful brothers and sisters. The group was led by Mark Blackwelder, who's been head of their Bible department for years. And at the end of every day, we would come back to the hotel, we'd have a devotional, and then we would share thoughts. What did you see? What did you think? And I got to lead the devotional thoughts on the first day of the trip after getting to see Nebo. So I wanted to share with you two things that struck me from that experience, but something, this isn't about Jeremy and Tony and Ike's vacation. It's, it's about something in the text. I used to always read Deuteronomy 34 as one of the most depressing chapters in Scripture. I mean, think about this. Moses, Moses went into retirement at 80 years old, or earlier than that. He was called out of retirement at 80 years old. He had grown up in Pharaoh's house. He had everything you could imagine. And one day he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. And Moses stands up and he opposes that and ends up killing the Egyptian. And he flees. And he went off in the land of Midian and he became uh, someone watching his father-in-law's sheep. And at 80 years old, God called Moses and said, I'm calling you out of retirement. And I'm sending you back to get my people and to lead them to the land that I have promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses rather reluctantly goes. And he, he goes and he withstands Pharaoh. He goes and he, he displays the wonders of God. And he eventually leads the children of Israel across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai where they, they encounter God. And eventually they get to Kadesh Barnea and right there where they can go in the land. Now this, the spies come back and say, there's no way we can take that land. 
It's ever been as good as we hoped. It's ever been as good as God described it. But there's no way we can go into that land. And because of their lack of faith and trust in God, they spend 40 years wandering around. And Moses goes with them through all of that. And they weren't very far out of Egypt before the people began complaining to Moses. And then when Moses is on top of the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the people offer, uh, they build a golden calf and begin worshiping that. And Moses gets down and they're not far out of Egypt before the people complain, you just brought us out of here to die. Moses has put up with a lot of stuff. And now when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, after everything Moses has put up with, after everything he's endured, after the, the rebellion and the complaints, and, and wandering around for 40 years himself, God takes Moses to the top of Pisgah and he says, here's the land that I've told you about. Here's the land you've been seeking. Here's the land I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the land that you dreamed of when you were in slavery as God's people. But you're not going, Moses. Doesn't that seem unfair? I mean, I understand that that the people can't go or shouldn't go. But Moses, come on. So after standing there and thinking about that, we went back to our hotel and we shared our thoughts about that. But one person shared something that really struck me in the moment. They said, it's pretty remarkable that Moses accepts his role in God's plan. And as you you look at the text, you find that to be true. Now pause for a minute and, and let's remember why Moses isn't going into the land. You remember that story? I mean, all these people have complained, and all these people have done their shenanigans, and the reason Moses can't go in the land is back in Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, you find this story that they've come out, the people are complaining, you brought us out here to die, there's no water, and God says, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to the rock, and it will give water. And you remember what Moses did? Moses struck the rock. Twice. And God says, because of that, you're not going in the promised land. Are you kidding me? After all they've done, and Moses gets in trouble for hitting the rock? I mean, he's probably frustrated. Probably lucky he hit the rock and not one of the Hebrews. And it's even more strange because in Exodus chapter 20 or Exodus chapter 17, God told him there, strike the rock. So why would God have said strike the rock in Exodus 17 and speak to the rock in uh, Deuteronomy chapter or in Numbers chapter 20? Why can't he strike it once and only have to speak to it another time and then gets in trouble when he does that? I learned something. The wilderness is largely made up of sandstone. And one of our guides said, Bedouins knew that sandstone would absorb water. And so Bedouins would go up and they would knock on the rocks. 
And you could listen and you could tell based upon the density of the sound whether it had water or not. You know, have you ever, ever gone to hang a picture on the wall and you're looking for the stud in the back of the wall of the sheetrock? You get a hollow sound and then it gets a thickening sound. And Bedouins would go up to rocks and they would smack the rock to listen to see if there was water in it. In Exodus 17, God said, Moses, why not you strike the rock? But in Numbers chapter 20, God says, just speak to it. It was a test of Moses' faith. Moses, you don't have to check that rock. You don't have to see if there's water. You trust me. You stand outside and you tell the people, this is the rock. It's going to give water because we can trust the Lord. And it may be that the problem that Moses had that keeps him out of the promised land in Numbers chapter 20 is he felt the need to check to see if God was telling the truth. Moses, you speak to the rock. And Moses went and he struck it twice. And you notice, if you go back and read Numbers chapter 20, God says, because you did not trust me. Same problem that the children of Israel had earlier. But as Moses' life comes to an end in Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses accepts his place in God's plan. He doesn't kick, he doesn't complain, he doesn't beg, he doesn't tell God it's unfair. In fact, if you take your Bibles and flip back just a few chapters earlier in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32 Actually, 31. Moses finished speaking all these words of Israel, and he said, I am now 120 years old. I am no longer to get about. And the Lord has told me, you will not cross over the Jordan. That seems to contradict at first that statement at the end of Deuteronomy 34. Moses was 120, his eyes weren't dim, he still had all the vigor that he's always had. But here Moses says, I'm not able to go in and go out with you. There was a gentleman by the name, um, well I forgot his name now. There was a gentleman on a trip with us who was 80 years old. And he outran a lot of the college students on that trip. It was phenomenal. I mean literally in Bethlehem he ran back to the bus. I would say he had just as much vigor as he always has, but you know what that means. Moses, Moses is 120 and he says in chapter 31, I understand that I'm not the guy to lead you into the land. I can't go in, can't go out. And Moses accepted that. Moses accepted the fact that Joshua was going to take the reins and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And he was at peace with that. That's a remarkable image of Moses, isn't it? There is something to be said for all of us that we accept the place that God has put us. That we accept the role that God has given us. How many fights are over who gets to do what? 
Who gets to lead? Who gets to stand in front? Who gets to decide? Who gets to lead? Who gets to, to teach? And who gets to serve? And how much time do we spend fighting over that? And at this moment, Moses says, I accept where God has placed me. I accept the role that God has called me to, to bring you from Egypt to this moment. And I accept I'm not the guy to lead you across into the promised land. The New Testament talks about this in a number of ways. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God has given us all gifts, and not all gifts are the same. You have one gift that another person doesn't have, and that person has a gift you don't have. And the difference between us isn't who has gifts and who doesn't have gifts. The difference is the gifts we have. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 34, as Moses sees the promised land, God shows him the promised land, Moses accepts what God gave him to do. And that's not easy. Because it's also a reminder to Moses that God's plan has always been bigger than Moses. I got to tell you, one of the problems with modern 21st century Americanized Christianity is that we have bought into the lie that it's all about me. That this whole plan of God is all about my happiness and my peace and my joy. Now listen, God cares about that. But God cares about that in community and God cares about that for the entire world. Moses, it's not been about you this whole time. You're an important part of the plan, but my purpose is bigger than you. Well, why do I have to sit in a church that can't have heat on Sunday morning? It's not about you. Well, I don't want to go to church with a bunch of people I disagree with. I don't want to go to church with a bunch of people who's hard to get along with. Tough. It's not about you. And Moses accepted that. Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Well, why not, Lord? I did this. I did that. I put up with this because it's not about you, Moses. And I know that that's not a great marketing ploy for churches. Come worship at Wilshire where it's not about you. But it's not. The kingdom of God is God's purpose in the world for all of us, not just Jeremy. And when we begin to accept the role that God has called us into, then the question isn't what's in it for me. The question is, what is in it for God's purpose? And so God brings Moses to the top of Pisgah, and he shows them the land, and Moses knows he's not going into the land, and he accepts that. Moses knows that it's going to be Joshua to lead them, and he accepts that. In fact, he helps prepare Joshua for that moment. Now, there's a second message, and this one I shared with the group, that dawned on me 
standing atop Pisgah. It seems like a raw deal for Moses. After all he's been through, it almost sounds like God is taunting him and tempting him. See here, Moses? See here, here's the Dead Sea and here's Jericho and and here's the Sea of Galilee and the beautiful area around that. And, And up here is Dan and and you can see all of this. See how beautiful that is, Moses? Sorry, you're not going. Why would God do that? But there's a moment earlier in Moses' life that helped me make sense of this. Let me show you quickly. It's back in Exodus chapter 33. When Moses was on top of the mountain receiving the commands of God, the children of Israel were down at the bottom of the mountain breaking the commands of God. And they built this golden calf, and, and God says, Moses, get down there. The people that you brought up, they've fallen into sin. And God says to Moses, I'm going to destroy all of them, and I'm going to start all over with you. Now again, that would be tempting if you're Moses. These people have done nothing but complain and whine, and God says, I'll kill all of them. It'd just be you and me. We start from scratch. That's tempting, isn't it? But Moses again knew it's not about me. And Moses says, God, what will they say about you and your plan? Well, then in Exodus chapter 33, there's this conversation where God says, go to the land. I'm not leaving, I'm not going, I'll send an angel before you, but I'm staying here. I can't deal with you people, I'll kill you, because of my holiness and your sinfulness. And I want you to notice something in Exodus 33. Verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. This is after the back and forth. And God finally says, okay, I'll go with you. But look at what Moses says, verse 15. If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. And this dawned on me, standing on top of Mount Pisgah. As great as the land is, and as much as that People wanted settleness and security and status. There was something Moses wanted more. And it was the presence and favor of God. Moses, you can have the land, but I won't go with you. And Moses says that I don't want the land. I'd rather have your presence in your favor. Isn't that a powerful thought? How much in life do we pursue knowing that it comes at the risk of God's presence? You want that job? You want that prestige and fame? You can have it, but you're not going to have the presence of God if you pursue it like that. And we do it anyway. You want that relationship? You can do it with the presence of God, but the way you're going about it will not not bring about the presence of God, and we do it anyway. 
How much in life do we pursue knowing it will cost the presence and favor of God in our lives, but we want it anyway? And yet Moses, who has wanted this land because it's been promised, because they've been unsettled, wanting that land, and Moses says, but if it comes at the cost of God's presence and favor, I'm not leaving this mountain. What a remarkable image of faith. And it dawned on me when I got to stand and look at that mountain. No, Moses doesn't go into the mountain. He doesn't go into the promised land. But when Moses died, you know what he had? The presence and favor of God. God takes Moses and buries him. We don't know where he's at. I looked. I didn't see a grave marker. And the Bible says that Moses was a man who spoke face to face with God. Jesus said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Moses says, I don't want the land without your presence. Whatever you're pursuing in life, ask yourself, does it come with the blessing and favor and presence of God? It may not be bad in and of itself. The land is good. The land's been promised. But Moses says, I don't want it without God. And whatever it is you're pursuing in life, are you doing it at the cost of God's presence and favor? Because trust me, it won't be the same without it. Now there's one other thing at the, at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34 that is no longer true. It's this statement. Verse 10, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and against his servants and entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Did you know that verse is no longer true? Because Jesus was a prophet greater than Moses. In fact, as the Bible unfolds in the New Testament, it plays off of this language and plays off of this image to tell you Jesus was a prophet like Moses, but greater. Who leads us to a place far better than even what Moses saw on that mountaintop. Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Remembrance Day. And many of you probably know that on April 3rd of 1968, the night before his murder, Dr. King gave a final speech. His thoughts were drawn from Deuteronomy 34. The imagery, at least. Reviewing the history and movement and the struggle for civil rights, and using this language and imagery of Deuteronomy 34 in Moses, Dr. King said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land, and I may not get to go there with you, 
But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That was the last speech he ever gave. Two weeks ago, Ike and Tony and I got to stand on the top of Mount Pisgah. And we got to see the same view that Moses had. And it was a remarkable sight. But it was also a moment that made me think, what am I really chasing? What am I really wanting? Is it the land or is it the presence and favor of God? The land was great. It was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the one thing that was more important than all of that was knowing that God dwelled with his people. And am I willing to accept where God has placed me in his plan? So this morning, I leave you with this promise and assurance that someone even greater than Moses has come and done even greater signs and even greater wonders and offers us an even greater destination than that land. It is an eternal presence of God with the eternal favor of God. And we offer in the name of Jesus the opportunity for you to be part of that plan and part of that place as a member of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. If we can help you in any way this morning, we want to offer the invitation in his name while we stand and sing.